Welcome to the Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. If you haven't tuned in before, the Law in Sport podcast is here to help you understand the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport. So we've had a pause for a few weeks whilst we were attending to the Football Law Conference, which was a huge success. We had over 280 guests from 30 countries around the world. We had top sports agents, in-house legal counsel from football clubs and federations, uh, from media companies. We had uh, advocates, solicitors, barristers, students, academics, a real mixture of people. And it was um, a fantastic few days. So thank you to everyone who took the time to speak at the event. And thank you to everyone who attended. If you didn't make it and you wanted to, you can always attend our annual conference on the 12th and 13th of September in London. We've also got a bunch of other events that are taking place and webinars that will be coming up uh, that you can join. Um, and of course, you can always just you know, engage on the podcast or follow us on Twitter or SoundCloud or iTunes or on the website. So without any further ado, I would like to announce our guest on this week's podcast. So our guest is David Lampitt. He's the Managing Director of Group Operations at Sport Radar. He has a fantastic career within football, but also now within uh, Sport Radar, a tech, media and data company. This podcast uh, briefly starts with David talking about his career and then goes on to talk about uh, Sports Radar's history, their business model and what some trends are going to be within the sort of sports media data integrity space. It's a fascinating interview. I hope you enjoy it. And remember, if you like what we do, please tell people. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, etc. Other than that, enjoy the show. So I'm here in the offices of Sport Radar AG um, over at Old Jewry. So for those of you that aren't familiar with London, it's right by a bank uh, in the heart of the city. Um, our guest is David Lampitt. Many of you would have heard him speak at our annual conference, would have probably seen him talk about all issues of integrity, data and other areas. Or if you worked in football, you'll know him from his uh, earlier career. He is the director for group operations. Uh, and I'm here to talk to him about what Sport Radar have been up to since he joined. How many years ago was it now? Yeah, already seven years ago, 20, wow. 2012. Yeah. Wow, that's a fly. Oh God, it flies by, right? <laughs> Don't uh, tell me about it. It's um, scary for me, not for you, so not sure. And so we were talking off air about this because I've basically, as I do with most of these type of interviews, the doorstep people. <laughs> and like, you, gave me, you gave me a little bit I of warning, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> Uh, and I wanted to talk about the sort of development of the business because I think it's been um, really interesting to, to, to monitor and watch um, about you know what, what's been in the public domain, what hasn't been in the public domain, um, all the innovations that you've been up to. And I also think it's, it, it gives a, a really good indication of what's going on in the, the wider global sports market and sports media and tech markets. Yep. So, but before we do that, for those that aren't familiar with 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 your background because you you've got a, a super interesting background and you again you'll probably think it's not that interesting but trust me to the people listening most of them are lawyers will think it's absolutely fascinating <laughs> so did you want to do you just quickly just for like a, f- a couple of minutes just give a, a, a whistle stop tour of your career and how you ended up at sport radar yeah okay and yeah as you say you know i guess typical self-deprecation but i would um yeah i i, I would I, w- I would say well i hope it's interesting to at least a couple of your listeners but um yeah, listen. From a personal perspective, I feel like I've I've um, I've done and had some yeah some interesting jobs along the way uh, over the course of the last you know, twenty twenty odd years that I've um, uh, yeah been in work. So you know, my background originally, you know, my background is strange because I I never really focused on one particular area. I was like maths was my favourite subject at school. Uh, I then studied language at university. I then trained to be an accountant. So you know, you can uh, like there's no there was no kind of golden thread through any of that. Uh, you know, more uh, uh, yeah, I guess more uh, uh, somebody who's trying to work out what they want to do in life. And actually, you know, the reason I studied accountancy was because I I really wanted to you know coming out of university, I wanted to understand business, want to understand how how business works. And you know, I did that for I did that for the best part of six years. Um, you know, went through the accountancy exams, toughest, kind of the toughest exams, intellectual test that I've ever been through, actually. Um, and then uh, after six years, I, I, I yeah, I kind of uh, created this opportunity um, uh, to go and work at the FA. So this goes back now to 2003, 16 years ago. And 
and it's a it's a funny story and i won't tell you the kind of the long drawn out version of the story but it's a funny story because and i always use it when i'm talking to students or young people about you know the starting points in their careers because it came on the back of a speculative letter i read it i read an article in the sunday times one uh, you know one weekend about what the fa were doing in this particular area of kind of sports regulation and particularly in the transfer market and what was going on with club finances and uh, you know uh, the transfers and agents activity and all of these things still really re- relevant and I today. Thought, yeah it's still relevant today and i thought actually you know that's an area that i'd really uh, like my expertise i could you know i could um bring to bear somehow i you know in terms of my financial background i'd actually specialized in uh, kind of corporate investigations and financial investigations into fraud and other you know other things like that so I thought actually that you know there's there is some there's some linkage here so I wrote a speculative letter the only speculative letter I've ever written in my career basically uh, and uh, yeah I mean I got I got a very polite response back saying yeah thanks for your interest don't believe everything you read in the papers um, and uh, but we'll keep it on file which of course I presumed meant you know filed in the bin uh, as you know as anyone you know, normally would and then yeah six months later I got a phone call from a recruitment consultant saying they were recruiting for somebody now in this team at the FA and would I still be interested so you know fair play to them for their you know for the kind of the process and the fact that they held on to this letter and that you know fundamentally changed the course of my career actually because yeah then from kind of 2003 for the last yeah I said 15 16 years now I've been you know I've worked in the sports industry basically you know that was a kind of a bit of a sliding doors moment I guess um and, what and what so, was, so what was the role just to be clear what was the role that you went on at the, at the FA yeah so uh well the, the role at the FA kind of changed a bit over time I was there for six years nearly seven years and I left in in 2010 so that the role changed a bit over time um but always on the kind of the governance and regulation side of the FA so looking after you know at the outset it was a tiny team and the team grew over the time that I was there but um at the outset it was you know focused on just getting some kind of fairly simple processes in place to improve the way in which we were handling you know the disciplinary aspects of the FA's work from you know in the first two weeks that I was there we had the kind of the battle of Old Trafford uh, with uh, Keown and Van Nistelrooy and you know and then uh, I think maybe 10 days later you know we had the Rio Ferdinand uh, you know um, dope testing issue so uh, that was a fairly uh, significant kind of baptism of fire into you know the public scrutiny of uh, of the sports industry and that level of the sports industry um, but also you know super fascinating you know incredibly interesting coming from where I'd come from I kind of you know was pinching myself I mean I can't believe I'm now I can't believe I'm now involved in this stuff so but uh, but in reality yeah the I guess the the brief that I had yeah uh, changed and grew a bit over time and I ended up uh, yeah heading up uh, the FA's integrity and financial regulatory function so looking after the relationship uh, with the betting industry as well as looking after the transfer market the regulation of agents uh, club licensing and I got involved with uh, UEFA and the UEFA licensing committee when we put together I guess the kind of the earliest um kind of the earliest imprint of um of what is now financial fair play and is obviously very well established in European football so yeah very you know fascinating uh, the FA fascinating organization to work for I still you know feel a strong kind of sense of uh loyalty towards it I think there are you know great people there and it often doesn't get kind of you know publicly it, you know is often a uh, I guess a you know uh, it it attracts some kind of uh, stick and some attention publicly, but actually, you know, the uh, the people who are working there, I think, you know, in my experience, just care passionately about kind of protecting and looking after the game of football in this country. And so, yeah, from, from the FA, I went on to Portsmouth, had two years, or best part of two years at Portsmouth um as ceo which is uh, yeah but that's that's probably the subject for a whole separate podcast <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I go, yeah yeah i won't go I'll, into I'll, that i'll call on you at the right time yeah, for that one. exactly um but again you know an extraordinary experience and i still you know consider it a massive privilege to have had the opportunity to yeah to be the steward of a you know of a of a football club which is such an important you know plays such an important uh, part in the kind of social fabric of uh, our society generally and particularly in Portsmouth where you know the football club is is such a is such a strong uh, kind of binding mechanism in that city it's a real one club city 
so yeah as i said a huge privilege to have uh, you know to have uh, been involved in that and some incredibly difficult circumstances and i you know can't uh, uh, yeah can't deny that there were some really challenging times but you know for me you know valuable experience even if it didn't necessarily end up exactly yeah how i would have how i would have liked but i also you know i'm a great believer in the fact that yeah in a in a kind of career um yeah in the in the cycle of your career often the things that are the toughest and at the time you might think actually are kind of the in inverted commas the worst things that, you know that uh, that happen to you in a career you you end up getting the most from because i would say it's like in sport and competition right you need you need higher level competition right to really challenge you to be stress tested and I think it's the same as an individual. We forget that, that you know, because when, when you're going through it, you think, "My God, this is a really stressful." I didn't force it. You're on a smooth ride. Yep. And I say this to a lot of lawyers who are, like, particularly litigation lawyers and others. But I say that you know, oh, it's a really difficult period. But this is what's going to you know make you a better lawyer because if you can operate well under this amount of pressure, yep. Then the rest of the time you're gonna you're gonna feel at least like you're coasting. Yeah. No, I, d- I definitely think uh, yeah, it was definitely a, te- a test <laughs> of my ability to cope with stress. You can you can certainly have that, but I you know I. I think I view it even a step beyond that as, you know, learning and dealing with failure, honestly, you know, like that's, it's such an important lesson for us all in, you know, in life and in our careers. And, you know, I often look, when I'm looking at CVs, I often look for somebody who has had, who hasn't necessarily had the smooth path, you know, who hasn't just had success after success after success. Because actually, you know, that's when you, you know, you really find out about yourself and your own, kind of limits and capabilities but also your own your own abilities i think so i'm just um, laughing i'm laughing chuckling to myself i've got a lifetime of failure. <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm, I'm pretty good at this well yeah I, i'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with i'm with you sean don't worry um but no i think you know those those things that you know are, are great learning experiences for us and I, I also think that applies in sport i'm sure it applies in the law absolutely you know where if you lose a case you know that's you've got to, you've got to you probably learn more from losing a case well than you do from winning a case badly yeah uh, you know yeah. So exactly. slam dunk of a case is the yep. i would say is that he's, he's like well well done right you didn't really have to do you didn't really have to exercise your legal mind to do yep. that right you just did your job well done but you know um yeah because we speak to a lot of people who we know mutual friends of ours and contacts in the space who do some really interesting case and they don't you know it doesn't always end up in their favor but they learn so much from it and then from there so we met i think through daniel g thing initially yeah because i'd introduced him to taku yamazaki yeah from japan do you remember yeah yeah, with, yeah, uh, yeah. I, a, I remember a, doing the session with them yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with uh, a japanese delegation or over and, and at the time then so did you go from portsmouth so i went from portsmouth to supporters direct yeah so again you know i guess the thread through my career in terms of the regulation of uh, uh, side at the fa you know trying to you know sort out a, you know a, a big financial distress case in portsmouth then going to going to supporters direct you know the thread was i i guess you know my i guess what i was passionate about and still am passionate about is improving the governance of sport and working out ways in which uh, you know that can you know be brought uh, brought to the fore and supporters direct another you know another great organization which you know had as its mission to bring uh, fans into that process in the you know in the best and most uh, structured way uh, you know, mirroring a lot of the kind of the good governance that happens in Germany, for example, in the you know in the ownership of sports clubs in Germany and football clubs in Germany, where they have the 50 plus one rule, and actually having this kind of uh, this foundation of supporters protecting the long-term interests of the club rather than having you know short-term investors uh, you know coming and going in that process. And I think it's a you know I still think philosophically it's a you know it's a really interesting and important. Um, uh, kind of principle and I still think you know we can do more and we should do more in the English game to ensure that fans have a you know a bigger say in the you know in the it's life and in the running of football clubs because it is I said it's you know I said at the start it is part of our social fabric it's such an important sport for us as a as a society you see what happens when we play and perform well in world cups and european championships you know there isn't there is very little that binds us together in that way and therefore protecting those institutions i think is a really important uh, is an important topic so you touched on this point and i think it's one we can come on to like come on to when we talk about your work here that this tension that's there between short-term rewards and long-term planning and sustainability and this is both a legal issue it's a societal issue it's a political it's um, an economic issue right it's yep. a very complex piece actually when you get to it because initially when i when we first met I was, I was still naive but i was more naive then 
and you go, well, why, do, why aren't people with us, the FA or others, why aren't they just doing this one thing? And then you start to understand the complexity of it. So um, we'll come into that in a minute. We'll part of that, though, but I think that's a really interesting point because I think we, we'll talk about what it is, the work that you do and, and why that's important in that regard. Um, so, you, but you went from supporters direct to... To radar, yeah. So, uh, to sport radar, and so yeah, I should I should probably get on to uh, sport radar and say something some, say something about it. Otherwise, yeah, I'll I'll uh, yeah get well, get, get killed by my current employees. Well, I was going to say, at least people won't, won't confuse this with an avatorial. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no chance of that. Exactly. Um, so actually, and actually, I so I started at sport radar as a non-exec while I was uh, yeah while I was still at um, supporters direct. So I started as a non-exec on our supervisory board. Uh, I was actually. You know, my when I was CEO at Supporters Direct, I was part-time CEO, and I was uh, w- ha- was doing some other things. I had some other uh, kind of business interests, and Sport Radar was one of them. Uh, and so I was a non-exec for a year and a half. I'd actually come into contact with Sport Radar when I was at the FA, because it was one of the kind of one of the um, service providers that we brought in to protect the integrity of, uh, of football and doing the integrity oh, monitoring. So yeah, so the kind of right. the contact went back a while, yeah. and so yeah, that was kind of how I got approached when I left Portsmouth to yeah to get involved and you know see if I could support them uh, in their you know in their rapidly expanding business. And so at this point in 2012. Sport Radar, I think we were about 350, 400 people worldwide, and uh, but you know had been had been growing still at a, you know at a reasonable rate from a you know a, a, a previously you know a startup I guess well going back going back all the way to 2002, but when I'd been dealing with them probably in 2007, eight yeah you know, there were maybe 60 or 70 people so they'd or, already gone through kind of a, a significant growth phase. And at that and time, sorry, the, when you when you first sort of come into contact with them, their main focus was um, betting data and and, it, and then as a side to that the integrity side of things and the monitoring is that correct yeah so that i mean that was the core business was you know was providing was providing betting data and services to the bookmaking industry and then in 2000 and yeah about 2007 um uh, they obviously recognized this uh, opportunity they had to use the data and the and the kind of skills and expertise that they had to also provide some uh, kind of service and protection uh, to sports and so to use that kind of the same expertise and uh, and kind of raw materials uh, to to help protect sport and you know knowing that that was in everyone's interest ultimately you know a clean sport uh, you know is what everyone wants to see but it's also good for our business it's also good for the uh, you know for the um, uh, betting business because people don't want to bet on a sport that they know is uh, you know potentially corrupt and, and is it fair to say at that time and uh, at that time as well that the that yourself whether it was not sure if performer in it then or if um genius were around at that time like i think maybe they were but at that time as well there's and there has been i think this is obviously we've got the panel that everyone can watch we can link to actually it's on youtube uh, yep. for annual conference last year that at that time as well that that regardless of what your commercial approach was to the integrity side of things everyone recognized that it was a um there was a value in it there was a value in it to the sports organisations from uh, from an education standpoint, from a business development standpoint, from an integrity standpoint. You know, tied into yep. it, it enhances your business. If obviously your data is being used in the in the in the in a more helpful way, let's yep. say. Um, and that was that seemed to me anyway. This was, this was an observation. I'm not sure. I don't want to put words into your mouth. My observation was at that moment in time that the 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 that you guys as an organisation were were driving that forward as as a I think you were more commercial though you know you d- that was a commercial um, uh, activity that you guys had as an additional service on the education side and other things um, and then and now you got to that point where people know who you are you've done the you've done a lot of the education right yep. you, you've got that quite locked down in terms of it's a well refi- you talk about processes when you're at the FA that's a very well refined process now and how you operate and how you um, carve up the different offerings you have but then what did it develop into because this is what I'm fascinated about now to see yeah. how that because that required a lot of tech right quite a lot of servers I would imagine um, a lot of infrastructure a lot of developers so how did yeah you of course I mean you know I mean you know, speaking more widely of course you know I consider us to be a tech business you know our backbone is uh, our backbone is technology and you know finding and using ways to leverage that technology to provide 
great services for our you know for our clients whichever you know whichever industry our clients may may work in but yeah stepping back into the the integrity part i think well, you know, for the integrity part for us has always been, you know, basically non-commercial. We run it effectively right. as a, you know, as a not-for-profit uh, entity. We don't, you know, we we try and we our aim is basically to break even. We invest heavily in it because we believe it's fundamentally important to to sport, um, and it's really, you know, strategically complementary. And I think I think it's fair to say we realised that, and we kind of, uh, you know, we perhaps kind of worked on that before our other competitors in the in the space came in you know a significant time before because i think as i said we realized that that was complementary ultimately our business depends upon you know sports media businesses betting businesses relationships with sports rights holders all of those businesses suffer if the integrity of sport suffers mm. and therefore if we can if we can do stuff that uh, you know that helps safeguard that integrity piece that helps ensure that the sports competitions are being played out fairly that is going to be beneficial for all of our downstream you know potential yeah. downstream re revenue yeah. channels yeah and therefore it's ultimately going to be beneficial for us so there is this kind of there is this Absolutely. synergy Makes and, sense. I, and i also think it's yeah. an important synergy even now that people kind of tend to I, I think tend to overlook which is that actually all of those stakeholders you know whether it's the betting industry whether it's us as a data you know data and content business or whether it's the sports we all have a shared interest in making sure that the sport is clean that the sport is played fairly because we all suffer if it if it doesn't you know and, and i think often that kind of you know improving the understanding and i think it has improved a lot over the years in terms of the understanding between the sports and the betting industry where you know they are not adversaries in that in that uh, kind of mission yeah. to it to ensure that the sport is played out if safely. If you've got a better product, basically, essentially, if you just break it down that way from a commercial perspective, you've got a better product, it's more investable. You, you know, you can enhance the commercial opportunities. We've got the of same. Course. But we've got the same thing. Well, yeah, of course. I, I, but ultimately, I, I, it's yeah. the bookmakers also who you know who might suffer financially at the end of it if you know if an event is corrupt and they you know they have to pay out on it or you know they get you know, they get legged over by that corrupt uh, those corruptors or those corrupt individuals. So, but but you're right. The kind of the the fundamental, you know, just from a kind of business and product development, the fundamental, um, uh, I guess, core there was using the technology and the mechanisms that we had within our technology to develop new and different ways of doing business. And that's, I think, that has underpinned the development of our business, you know, over the last well seven years since I've been involved, but you know, a longer period of time uh, as the business has grown. And as I said, yeah, when I came in in 2012, we were we were yeah roughly 350 400 people you know we get 2019 and we're now over 2200 oh. people worldwide i think and that <coughs> kind of that growth trajectory uh, over the last seven years i'm you know i'm very happy to say has continued um i can't <coughs> i can't link it uh, you know directly to my own involvement in the business unfortunately you can, you there can, are you, know, you can just many, drop the mic there yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> there, are, there are many people who are you know far you know far cleverer and far um, more able than me uh, you know who have uh, you know who've contributed massively to that growth they, and it they is haven't a, got the microphone it so it's fine <laughs> no exactly we, I, I don't let them anywhere near the microphone no exactly but no honestly it's a you know it's a it's a massive team effort you, yeah. you don't you don't kind of get any uh, uh, get any of those um, you can't possibly guess, you, you, can't, you can't you can't you can't reach that type of growth without a a, a very strong and deep team particularly given the the, the required because i know from a development side about how much requirements go into just doing some really basic stuff whether it's with javascript or just you know some, some, some like you know php whatever it may be uh it can eat your time <laughs> like nobody's business no of course and yeah. yeah you know and that comes back to the that comes back to the technology backbone and then if i look at you know kind of going back to your question about the development of sport radar over that period of time you know the time that i've been involved I think the way that I would um, characterize that is that, you know, we have we have been, I think, pretty smart about the way in which we've looked to leverage the raw materials and the stuff that we're good at uh, and find as many new, different, engaging, creative ways to to commercialize that and to help our clients commercialize that and use that to kind of build and grow their businesses successfully so that means you know on the on the betting side that means you know from raw from raw data and just providing data we've developed live odds models we've developed the ability to risk manage on behalf of bookmakers and so we've grown our product set and grown our ability to work into that uh, kind of provide kind of 
better and deeper services into that industry on the sports media side you know we kind of we started off on the sports media side really as a byproduct of again we had we had all of this data and content how could we you know how could we develop that uh, in a in another area and of course it makes perfect sense when you've got those raw materials okay you know from a from a scalability perspective let's find new and interesting ways in which again we can build that out we can build up uh, you know a different uh, a different revenue channel with a different industry sector uh, you know and build that on top of uh, you know the the and scalable you, model and, and that and we can you already give, had. so so for those people that aren't familiar with it can you give um an insight into some of the the, the, the things you've done because I, I get your press releases so I, <laughs> I see it all the time some of which yeah. are more relevant to what we do of course not but but you know you you've <coughs> Uh, I think if I'm right, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong. Volleyball, is that right that you're that you're you've packaged up and sold some rights for volleyball? Is it or distributed rights for volleyball internationally? Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly we've done that. So, uh, but I mean, again, that's that's maybe a, uh, a a relatively niche part of our business that yeah. you know people don't necessarily know about or kind of recognise as our core. But I think the the trajectory or the the trajectory of the development of that business has been driven by actually by the investment that we made in the US. So actually back when I was on, on the board or the non-exec on the board, we made this decision to acquire a US sports data business, which we thought had kind of great technology. And we saw an opportunity to to get into that market and to, you know, frankly speaking, cause some pain to some of the, uh, you know, t- to some of the competitors in that market. Um, the word to use is be disruptive. That's the, the popular word, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were perhaps positively disruptive. We were perhaps a little bit disruptive in that, but that you know we saw that opportunity not least because you know in terms of developing a sports media uh, kind of arm to our business, the US is the biggest you know sports media market in the world. You know without a shadow of a doubt, and so you know using that as the uh, I guess as the kind of flag bearer, the standard bearer. Uh, for developing that kind of capability and that credibility uh, globally has been uh, actually has been extremely successful and we you know we're now in a you know a great position in the US where we partner with all of the uh, all of the major leagues you know we've been partnered with the NFL for the last 3 years we partnered with the NBA uh, we've just yeah secured a you know a, a significant deal with the MLB um, uh, and we've already been working with the NHL for a number of years, so um, you know we have we have a great footprint in the US, and that has really, as I said, been the kind of the standard bearer for our uh, for our sports media business globally. Um, and and of course, we work with we work with those you know we work with those rights holders across a number of different areas. So we you know we do partner with them on the media side again, creating their official data feeds, working with uh, working with digital publishers, working with the broadcast partners to you know create research tools and give them great content and new and interesting insight into the way in which the game is being played out we you know we do the tracking we partner on the tracking data in the nba and the nfl so we get the that blew my mind by the way the nfl stuff with um i'm trying to think who's with now that, that was on the previous podcast with ulrich um i'll go back and oh uh, uh, yeah so what as in who do we do it with it's yeah. uh, zebra systems that's yeah, it yeah. zebra and uh, incredibly impressive or you zebra i should zebra, say zebra yeah 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 and you could see, <laughs> and you could see their, their their sprint speed yeah i mean just incredible stuff yeah yeah, uh, yeah. so and yeah. you know so some of that insight i think uh, well you know those are those are great uh, i guess great examples of the way in which yeah you can you can take the data and leverage the data and create you know in, interesting content and engagement and insight and analytics and you know on the back of that we've invested a couple of years ago in a, uh, a business called mocap over in you know silicon valley in menlo park uh, which is again you know a whole load of people who are way way cleverer than, than i am you know phd mathematicians from caltech who are looking at kind of uh, looking at how they can drive insight and analysis and patterns and new and uh, new modes of understanding play uh, from all of that deep tracking mm. data and using AI and machine learning to, you know, to filter and, uh, and uh, uh, aggregate and inquire into, uh, you know, into the data. So, th- you know, there are so many, um, there are so many different ways in which, um, you know, that is, that is then brought to bear for us as consumers and we take it for granted, you know, Absolutely. and we used to, you know, and th- that trajectory, by the way, I think will continue, you know, what we see now as consumers five years ago would have been only available to the analysts at the side of the, 
pitch or post match we now see all of that as you know as consumers and and the analysts are seeing new, new you know new kinetic data new kind of new m uh, again new grades putting, of data putting on your old regulatory hat yep then there's something i've been interested in if you look at the sort of criticism of uh, uh being in a bas basketball fan one of the criticisms of the nba at the moment is now that they've realized that three pointers are the things that really matters and you're not getting that post play that you used to get like Shaquille o'neal's with my sort of heroes back yeah. in the day you know you don't get those that yeah, type yeah. of movement anymore and it's creating a bit i'm watching the uh final four or the, the yep. wild march madness at the moment yep for that, for that reason a bit more entertaining play but there's still there's, there seems to be over reliance and i remember speaking to chris anderson uh numbers again chris anderson yep um about this game is there an over if you start to rely too much on the the, the data side and, he, and he's been doing a fantastic bunch of tweets over the last few weeks on this going sometimes you can lose sight of of the actual, almost like the art form, if you see what I mean, yep. and an expressive part or the human element to it. And so naturally, you there comes a point in time, depending, uh, I'm assuming, so correct me at any point here, but say say a sports developer hasn't got access to the tech, hasn't got access to the data, you start to see massive improvements in um, technical, essentially execution yep. in and, and, and performance in those sports to a point where then the sport may almost become, like it has sometimes in rugby, become unrecognisable to where it initially started at. And then that then that becomes a question for the regulator to say, yep. hey, or whoever's running the sport. Yeah, um, to the to the rule maker, effectively, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the, to the sports governing body. And I think that's, you know, I think that's a, um, a constant cycle of evolution, as you say, you know, looking at the way in which the sport is played. And, and of course, you know, sports are all, competing with each other as well for mm. you know for our eyeballs they've got to make sure that uh, that they're creating a great spectacle that people you know want to go and watch and that is you know enjoyable and as you say is also somehow you know sometimes transcends into an art form when you see it played at the you know at the very highest level and i think that's you know that's a constant evolution and and tech also plays a part in that right you know we now we now accept that tech is embedded into the kind of the decision making processes of sport you know whether it's whether it's line calls in tennis or you know var or as you say kind of uh, you know the video referee in rugby whatever it might be um and you know my view is that that there there is a constant um opportunity to enhance you know to enhance the way the game is played to enhance the experience for the fan as well uh, because yeah i think i think it's been proved in those sports that introducing technology and uh, introducing mechanisms by which the sport can become fairer effectively in terms of the participation more competitive is the term well fairer because i always well, say no, i think it's more well it's more competitive and fairer yeah. but i think the key point is it doesn't it doesn't detract one it it doesn't detract from the i guess the uh, you know the the pub uh kind of the pub debate yeah you know even where you have technology involved it still doesn't detract from that there is there is still enough uh kind of controversy and incident uh you know within the sport well, everyone just becomes it just becomes uh, a, more, a more informed debate yeah <laughs> everyone becomes a, yeah an armchair expert exactly um but yeah so you know and we see that you know we see that developing in in sports obviously it's something that we're looking at as well from a tech perspective you know because we're we're a data business and a content business and of course we're looking at okay how can we how can we leverage some of that technology to you know to facilitate what we do you know we have we still have a big human element to what we do in terms of data collection and quality control and you know all of the investment that we make in ensuring that actually you know we stay as the number one provider in our industry uh, for that kind of that data reliability and and quality and the integrity of the product um but of course, you know, and of course, there's a, a significant human element in doing that. But of course, we also want to harness technology in doing that, in using AI to identify anomalies that might help us kind of, uh, you know, might help us focus on particular areas or alert us to issues. Um, With the amount as, of data as, sets as well you've got, as, you can't do that, man. Like, as in, that it is literally impossible. The amount of data you've got to do that. Of manually. course, you know, <laughs> and we're covering 400,000 sporting <laughs> events a year, and there are many, many data points in each of those events. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, uh, you know, we do. Ha having said that, we do from a quality control perspective, we do have human intervention in every layer of that process at the moment. But of course, there are. You know, we're look constantly looking at ways in which we can, we can use, we can use technology to enhance that process and that might mean you know making it more scalable for us you know at the moment we still we and i think that our other our, our kind of friendly competitors in the space i think all have the same view at the moment which is 
even where you can bring technology to bear in that kind of in those uh, in those areas from a data perspective there is still a need for human human intervention there are still so many subjective areas in sport uh, you know and you think about tennis and i would say tennis is one of the one of the sports where actually you can use technology you know line calls could pretty much all be done automatically mm. now but then if you're really looking at data on tennis and you're looking at performance data and you want to analyze the game it's much more difficult to identify what the difference is between a forced error and an unforced error, yeah. for example, you know, and, uh, you know, getting a machine, you know, into the position where it can identify that in a consistent way. So, and also yeah, there's so a point where, 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 I know, like whether it's in business, whether it's as a consumer, at some point you don't just want raw data, like in the sense of you don't want, or you don't want even a computer making that decision for you, right? It's a bit like the Google Assistant now that can, tell people you're on call waiting right do you really want is that the is that the sort of brand that you want to give out if you're in tennis do you want a computer making that announcement or do you want the the, the, the linesman doing it right or the umpire so the umpire isn't it sorry yeah. shows my lack of tennis <laughs> <laughs> I follow too many you sports line, nowadays you have a line judge in tennis <laughs> yeah, Sean that's all right but yeah. linesman is a definitely a different sport <laughs> I know. oh my god I'm, I'm like literally in my head I'm making up sports American football and uh <laughs> well in fact in fact you probably can't even yeah it's been a few years since you're supposed to say linesman isn't it in, yeah, in football because it's uh yeah, it's I'm, an assistant referee I'm, so. I'm uh yeah anyway let's move on swiftly um so from 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 from, from your uh I can edit the good thing is I can edit this out. Yeah. So, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, after you just like did, did a, a monologue for like 10 minutes, like really articulately, and I, and I can't even uh, pretend I work in the sports sector and I don't even know what the officials are called. Terrible. Um, so from a business perspective then, so you've got the obviously tech business, you've got the media rights stuff, you've got the um, servicing uh, the the various stakeholders from, from a data perspective, the betting industry, the yep. sports governing bodies, the commercial partners, etc. And, then am I right with the media? Did you categorize up? So you're doing some really interesting stuff. Again, I've got another press release on this. Um, interesting stuff with, um, I think you may have even acquired a company that, that I may be wrong with this, but uh, overlaying uh, data, so into news feeds and into websites. Yeah. Um, which I think was what you, I think yeah, when yeah. you come in, you were yeah. playing a, a video about it, actually, funny enough. Um, but, but, did you acquire was that an, an acquisition or was that um so no we've um we've partnered, we partnered well right. yeah we've partnered well there there are maybe a couple of different strands there but yeah most recently we've partnered with a, a company called arcadium uh that yeah is doing some really interesting uh really interesting stuff in uh the space around uh, yeah i guess uh, uh digitizing and automating um the 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 engagement and activation process uh, from uh, you know from a news story. So basically, it is it is making the process of taking a news story and automating and creating great content off the back of that news story much much easier. Um, and using that you know hitting that across multiple social channels, but then also using it to create engaging kind of factive content, uh, and then using it as an activation point on the back of that factive content to you know to get people to engage whether that is to you know click through on a an ad advert or whether it is to place a bet or whatever yeah, you know whatever, or whatever, whatever that might be yeah. and of course this is all about you know getting getting people to spend longer you know where they're you know where their eyeballs are to spend longer there to be more interested and to take action on the back of it and that's you know in the digital space that is it's, you know that's a tough that's a tough, that's a yeah, tough competition yeah and, it, and it, it's super interesting because i won't say which website because i'm going to be quite vehement about this but i was on a, an article the other day that someone again someone we know uh promoted on on twitter and i thought oh this looks like a really good piece scrolled down i must admit must have been a hundred times i had to scroll down the page and i just thought as an editor as someone who does effective news information as effective informative information that would not have gone past my desk that would have got bounced yep. straight back right but the game that the, that website is playing He's trying to keep you on there for longer because, yep. and it's a bit like you're now getting somebody, and he's called it voluntary metrics. You're getting these sort of voluntary metrics because everyone's playing the attention game. Yep. Right. Like, oh, we can show you this. That means we can drive up more pay per click or we can, you know, it'd be when, when more data comes, I like to think that, that, that people be a bit more informed about that and you actually get, it will eventually flip to being useful. Yeah. You know? Like, if you can provide that useful <coughs> data, people like your service more. Therefore, they hook in. At the moment, we've still got this. Um, well, I think that, and I think that's where the activation point is probably the mm. you know the most significant um, kind of 
end game in all of that because as you say there are definitely and have have been for a number of years uh, you know as you as you refer to them vanity metrics but you know metrics for the sake of it which actually don't necessarily tell you anything but you know the the activation point at the point at which somebody clicks through to to do something on the back of the content that you're providing that is you know that's really what you know everyone is is looking for and making sure that you know ultimately if that drives a transaction you know then you know that's kind of the you know the the holy grail that's yeah. kind of where you're in theory then they want more of your services so. as well so it works you know you're incentivized that way so it works well well yeah for us that's it's actually about enabling our clients businesses so you know when we're working with sports publishers obviously you want to use some of that content to drive uh, you know drive people back to their websites or if it's a betting company you want to drive people to engage and potentially place a bet and so you know we're as I said we're constantly looking and I think this has been again part of the trajectory of our development we're constantly looking at ways in which we can support the businesses that we work with to enhance what they're doing and drive you know drive growth and drive revenue uh, for those businesses and we, you know we've we've stayed we stay very, um, you know, deliberately, strategically as a B two B provider. We haven't, you know, we haven't really engaged in the kind of the front end B two C part, but we want to be a, you know, um, uh, a, a business that is helping empower our clients to build and grow. And you know, using technology and using the expertise that we have and sharing that because, you know, across across that landscape and you know, when we talk to sports as well, you know, lots of those sports don't have you know they don't have the specialists in these no, areas of technology or or, or yeah engagement or ott platforms there's a handful um, that have anything even close to that correct and and then you're talking about the really you know the massive sports organizations globally and that is you know a very small percentage of the population so we're you know we we see our you know our mission as enabling that by kind of building up that expertise and then taking that out to the wider and market and, and hopefully democratizing and, it. And, and i'm just conscious of time because we're, we're meeting into the time you said that we need to close off at a certain yeah. time <laughs> That's okay. and, uh, and as usual i'm running over um have we is that a fair then uh given everything you said at the moment is that is that a fair reflection of of all the activities that the, that the business has at the moment or have we missed something i just want to make sure that i haven't covered the, the different strands uh because otherwise, I want to want to ask you about where you see the future going. Obviously, I know that you're you're gonna have limits on that because part of it's you know your IP essentially and gonna yep. be where you're gonna drive forward. But well, yeah, how do you see the sort of the world shaping out? Because we've got this sort of convergence point at the moment, which is the key word of the day: the sports media rights and data and tech and law and everything else. Right? So yep. you've got this convergence point but there's still only like one NBA. There's still only one NFL, right? You can't, you know, from an economics perspective, right? You can't have everyone being the, the dominant player, right? This doesn't yep. work like that. There's normally, like, normally in a, well, a capitalist market, there's normally one or, or a very few who dominate, yep. right? So where do you see the future of, of, of one uh, sport radar? And then secondly, that sort of sports media tech landscape yeah, so I mean, for Sport Radar, of course, I, you know, I see a, you know, an, still an incredible um, kind of landscape of opportunities available to us because of the, you know, the strength of the position that we've built up, um, you know, the strength of the technology backbone, the extent to which we're now embedded with those major sports, but also embedded with our downstream, you know, our downstream clients and customers. You know, we have a, you know, we have a, you know it's been hard fought and hard won don't get me wrong but you know it has given us an established position which enables us now to you know to leverage that into all sorts of other opportunities i think where do i see kind of the wider market going i think there are so many interesting developments and you know potential disruptions to that uh, you know to that wider landscape so you know i would point specifically of course to kind of the way in which sport is being consumed and the broadcast market in particular and you know the switch away from traditional broadcast uh, you know pr traditional broadcast consumption through into digital consumption i think if you're a sport if you're a sport and a rights holder in this digital environment at the moment that is you know should be in the top three things that you're thinking about and keeping that's keeping you awake at night because actually it's a great opportunity you know as a sport you're you're historically you've been removed from your end consumer you know you you sell your rights a broadcaster then goes and puts it on a you know down the down the tube and uh you know and somebody consumes it at the other end but you don't really have any interaction or connection or knowledge about who that is you know with the sort of kind of digital transformation that we're now 
helping people with you know creating their own ott platform creating their own ott over the, over the top, I'm, I'm an assistant on just yeah, describing. Just some, I know most people will know nowadays, but, but still, it's good. I would, to, hope, I would uh, hope with the you know the high quality, high caliber of people li- listening to your podcast, Sean, they'll they'll, they'll know that. Um, but thank you for the clarification. But yeah, with with that, um, yeah, with the development towards the OTT, that you know it is a way in which sports can have that direct interaction if they own the you know if they're owning the platform and the content they have that direct interaction with those with fans they they get to learn about what the fans habits are and so you know it is it is a huge opportunity but this kind of this transformation the disintermediation of that relationship between between sports and their end fans i think is going to be you know one of the big driving forces of how how tech develops over the next 10 years. I thought, um, you know, I saw La Liga come out yesterday with their announcement about La Liga TV. Yeah, yeah. Which I find, yeah, I find super interesting. I find super, again, we talked about it on our European editorial board call yesterday. Oh, did you? I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. But, you know, that uh, again is, you know, I think going even one step further because that is then putting La Liga or La Liga TV in as an aggregator of sports content. Well, so it's MLB, bringing in, MLB BAM. So it's bringing, well, or yes. they say MLB, MLB BAM. BAM. MLB BAM. I always get it wrong. MLB BAM. Yeah. Right. So the Major League Baseball, right, they acquired the NHL rights. Is that correct? I think at yes, some point. Correct. And they're now looking to acquire, allegedly, looking to acquire, or reportedly, I should say, in the media to acquire the Fox network that's been disbanded. So, yep. so, so, yeah, and it's, you, you've seen this in the US, and I find that that's slightly different because of franchise model. I yeah, and it is slightly different because of the way in which the tech works. You know, the interesting thing with La Liga TV is that it is that's the front end. That's yeah. the that is the consumer interface. Is that you? You, it's an aggregation point for lots of different Spanish sports, and that's how they've they've set it up. And again, you know, owning owning that direct relationship between the sports mm. and and the and, and the fan at the end of it. I think, and I think that will the competition you know, lawyer. This is what I get interested in because I'm not a competition lawyer, so I can just ask these questions, and I have much a bit like you were saying. With I'm not a competition problem. lawyer, so I probably won't be able to answer no, them. But but yeah. I normally have. Yeah, I just think from a competition law perspective, it's because at what point does it tip? It's a bit like I've always been saying about Amazon controlling the servers, and they've been investigated at the moment from a tech perspective with um and google the same and others when you get to a certain scale and size inevitably there comes a question about uh you know are you uh, in an abuse or you know what you know is it is it, yep. is it distorting competition and in the sports arena if you've got la liga who, i don't know i just know i don't know but it just becomes really fascinating one of the things i wanted to, to ask you about though um was that do you see a point so, so there's a guy called seth godin you probably have you heard of Seth Godin? Yeah, yeah, the marketing, the guy came up with the term permission marketing, right? And he came up with a, also the tribe. You know, you know your tribe, understand your tribe, right? If you uh, talk to these people, that you have that sort of um, viral effect, right? Essentially, yep. if you talk to 100 people and they're passionate and brand advocates about what you do, they'll go and tell another 100 people, another 100 people, another 100 people. It would seem to me that disconnect that you were describing between going down the tube, essentially not having that, should mean in theory, if we follow this through to fruition in 10 years' time, that if people do have that better data, maybe some of the services and, and offerings they've been trying to do some of these sports have been trying to do they'll actually have better data to go actually our fans don't want that that actually does not of course that's that we're not getting that and i think that is the, that that of i course. find that yeah. super exciting because of course i 100 percent. and that i think is you know that that is the direction that we are traveling in as a society right so that is mm. you know the direction towards customization personalization the availability of content to consume in a you know, in a format that we want to consume it when we want to consume it. And, you know, I, I don't see sport as being immune from that. Of, of course, sport is special because it's one of the few, the few um, kind of content areas which is still kind of appointment viewing mm. where people, you know, make yeah. an appointment to view it because seeing it live, you know, is the, is the theater of sport. You know, that is the, you know, the uh, kind of the, the importance and the, you know, the passion that sport drives is seeing it in that live environment. But I think, you know, all, all of the kind of the wider societal trends in terms of you know, producing that and making it available to people when they're on the move, when they, you know, mm. when they want to dip into it, when they want to see a highlights reel or, you know, a, a summary when they want to flip to the most important mm. point. You know, all of that kind of personalization and customization is coming, right? It's already, mm. it's already coming. We're already seeing it. And I think the, you know, the interesting part for me is the extent to which the, the rights holders can you know uh, i mean ultimately they are already the kind of the next content businesses and to your point about competition law without going into the legals of it because that's not my area but actually 
what we've seen so far is fragmentation. So we've seen, you know, the the OTT space being fragmented and, you know, you having to subscribe to lots of different sporting apps to, you know, to... That has got hooked in through because of Lewis Wiltshire. Yeah, to get get your (laughs) content. But I think the aggregation of that is going to be, you know, is going to be an interesting next phase and how broadcasters, you know, perhaps reinvent themselves to... To facilitate that, because someone, someone who is it? Someone, someone says I can't remember who it was, but someone said that that's what they think am- the play was. I can't remember. That's what they think Amazon's going to do. Become that. There's like Amazon Prime, just become that, and they kind of have got that facility in Prime, and they're going to become that. It may have been David Murray who was the yeah. former yeah. head of BBC. BBC yeah, Amazon Prime. have got yeah, have got some reasonably significant means in order to <laughs> in order to yeah disrupt a few of these areas. I think it will be very interesting to see what um, happens. I would love to continue. I'm very conscious of time. Yeah, I know we've, we've run over. I did. I did flag though. To be fair, I did. Flag. I know you did. <laughs> you did, and, um, and it was probably my ten-minute monologue. Uh, to be fair, sure. It was though, a good yeah. one. <laughs> it was a good one. It was better than me getting the lines <laughs> point wrong. Um, thank you so much for your time. We could continue this. I think that that is that's a, maybe one we can you know come back to. Maybe one for a panel discussion or something. But cause I think that is going to be uh, really telling. Um, no, thank you, thank yeah. you very much for the invitation, and I hope, uh, yeah, I said I, I hope it hasn't come across as a PR exercise for Sport Radio because actually we probably, no, no, probably we touched <laughs> on it, touched on it relatively little. I'm about to get killed by my communications department, but but hopefully it made for an interesting podcast. No, it did, it did, and uh, yeah, well, I just think yeah, you've got a really interesting background and real perspective, and I think having that 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 broader overview is actually really interesting because it puts a lot of the work that you're doing into context right for the, for the wider sports community so thank you very much for your time i really appreciate it you're off to speak at the sheridan sports group now this afternoon so uh, uh, a quick, uh, a quick uh, plug yeah, yeah, yeah thank yeah, you for yeah. that i'll let them know yeah yeah no no i, I, I give props to people where it's due no um <laughs> so I know by, by the time this goes out it will probably have long since passed right so. yeah it will do yeah yeah anyway dead plug yeah. <laughs> cheers sean all the best Well, that's sadly all we have time for for this show. But thank you for tuning in. And remember, for all the latest legal issues and developments from the world of sport, you can go to lawinsport.com. You can follow us on our, at Twitter, at lawinsport, on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can follow me, at SPCOTT, on the same platforms. You can go to lawinsport.com and subscribe to our weekly email to get e- emails to your inbox with latest information about obviously the fantastic content that we've got on the website, articles and features, as well as obviously podcasts. Um, you can also find out about the latest job opportunities and we've got some fantastic ones from uh, the Mercedes Formula One team at the moment, Level and the Football Association that you should check out. Um, definitely worth uh, taking a look at. And of course, you can find out about the latest events that we've got coming up. The big one being on the 12th and the 13th of September is our annual conference. We'd love to see you there. Other than that, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great morning, lunchtime, evening, commute home or commuting to work, depending on when you're tuning in. And uh, I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you like what we do, please just tell people. We really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day stroke evening. (laughs) 